0: Let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll read the entire chapter. You can find it on page 1383 in your pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Let us hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us this afternoon. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and that and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of the words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, The heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel see that you do not refuse him. Who speaks. But if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now, this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word and add his blessing to the exposition of it as well. Our text will come from verses 12 through 17, which begin with, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And as we've been reminded again and again as we worked our way through Hebrews, when we come to the word therefore, we should always ask, what is it therefore? What is this word therefore, therefore? And it ties into the context of this whole chapter that we've already been reading and, and even, the, even the chapters before where we saw the, the cloud of witnesses of faith and, and therefore were encouraged to look to that final witness, the, the witness par excellence, the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the first couple of verses of chapter 12. And so we find this in the context of running that race looking to Jesus. And so, this section in verse 12 through 17 highlights the importance of faithfully running the race. And I'd like to see that with three thoughts. First of all, we faithfully run the race by being prepared through faith. Secondly, by pursuing godliness. And thirdly, by preventing falling. faithfully running the race by being prepared through faith. Verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The question might come to us, how can we be strengthened? How can hands which hang down and feeble knees be strengthened? And the answer comes in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, they can't strengthen us. But, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's something about endurance there and strengthening. And how do we do that? And verse 2 is the answer. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It is all found in Jesus Christ. That's how we can be strengthened. And notice here this relationship between what follows up to verse 12. Because there's a movement going on. We are to look to Jesus, the One who is the author and finisher of our faith, and we're to see what He has done. That for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. And then what the author to Hebrews says to us is consider Him. Consider what He has endured. If you want to be prepared for this race, you need to consider the cost and count the cost. Consider what Jesus had to endure, and he had to endure hostility from sinners against himself. If you don't consider what Jesus has had to go through, he says in verse 3, you will become weary and discouraged in your souls. And then he says in verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees when we count the costs and we know what Jesus has gone through, then we can look to Him to be strengthened. But we can also be strengthened and exercised through discipline. Exercise prepares us to run a race, even physically speaking. And so also, discipline and exer- being exercised by discipline also strengthens us to run the race, and that's what we saw last a couple of Lord's days ago when we looked at Hebrews 12, that God's disciplining hand upon us is what makes us and conforms us to be partakers of His holiness. That's His preparing work in the race that's set before us. That's why we read, in verse 11, "This chastening doesn't seem to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. There's a preparation going on for this race. a preparation through faith in what Jesus has done. And we have good reason to be strengthened for this race when we consider Jesus And we are exercised through His discipline. Our Father's disciplining hand. We are strengthened because He is the author and finisher of our faith. And He prepares us for the race that is set before us. And so, there ought not to be drooping hands and weak knees because that kind of posture will never succeed in the race. If you see a runner running a race and he's just slouched down and you can see he, he's weak in his knees, filled with fear, you, you could almost say with certainty he will never win the race. He will never endure to the finish line. But see, for a Christian, indeed, we are weak. We are feeble. We have weak knees, and yet they are strengthened. Through Jesus. Faith in Him. That's how we can be prepared by being united to Christ. But he goes on to say that that's not the only preparation that needs to be done is to look to Jesus. He also says in verse 13, you need to make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. And it's very similar to what we find also in verse 1. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us so that we can run that race with endurance. So that things aren't weighting us down. Things aren't getting in our way as we run the race. And that's exactly what what he's reminding us here again of in verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet. Make sure that path is clear and straight. And he's, he's gleaning on Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 35. And actually, this whole context is. In Isaiah 35, if you have your Bibles open, it's, it's, it's very fitting to, to, to see for ourselves how the author to Hebrews is so, sees it so important to bring the Old Testament and the truths of God's Word to these Hebrew Christians who knew it well. And there in Isaiah 35, He's directing them to that future glory in Zion and that race that's set before them to go there. And notice in verse 3 of chapter 35, even though they're racing as it were through a wilderness and a wasteland, they will see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. And so therefore, in verse 3, He says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. It shows how the blind will receive sight and the deaf will receive hearing and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. There shall be true fruitfulness. And notice verse 8. A highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. A straight path. A holy path. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. There will be no dangers there. There will be no obstacles there he goes on to say. And this highway, he, he prophesies of in chapter 40. And in chapter 40, he's calling to the people and he's saying, comfort my people. Comfort. Y- yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. And the only way that he can speak comfort to Jerusalem is through the Lord Jesus Christ and the one who would come to prepare the way, to prepare that highway of holiness. Notice verse 3 the voice of one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places made straight, and the rough places made smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is what the author to Hebrews is directing our attention to. We need to have straight paths, clear paths, paths that are. Void of danger. If you're going to run a race, even a physical race, you want a clear path to victory. You want a clear path to the finish line. You want to remove all of the obstacles. Otherwise, you might twist an ankle or trip over a rock or whatever you might do. So also spiritually, we need a straight path of righteousness, of holiness. And in order to do so, we need to clear the path. Maybe I can just a- <clears throat> ask our- maybe we can just ask ourselves, are we personally prepared for the race? Are we personally looking to Jesus for strength and endurance, by looking to His promises, by trusting His promises, by believing His word, by trusting His, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? for our salvation? Is that strengthening us in the race that's set before us? And are we removing all of the obstacles from our path? Are we removing any obstacle that keeps me from looking to Jesus and pressing forward in this race in order to endure through this race? Am I looking to remove everything that would trip me up in a spiritual sense? Am I looking to repent from every single one of my sins? Because if we don't, we will hobble along through the race with our legs out of joint. Maybe we can just ask ourselves, Point blank. In my life, am I doing everything to prepare myself for this race? That means that I will be in God's Word, believing it. And that means I will abstain from entertaining sin in my life. Sin and sinful activity are the obstacles that will prevent us from running the race. Am I fighting against sin? Am I leaving all of the weight behind? Am I seeking to remove the obstacles? Do I take sin so seriously that I'd rather cut off my hand or pluck out my eye? Rather... Go through life with one hand and one eye than to perish eternally in hellfire. Do I take sin so seriously? Am I asking people who are witnessing me run this race? Am I asking people who are close to me to help me to identify those obstacles? And provide encouragement to strengthen me in this race, as a cloud of witnesses do. Do I prepare myself for the race? Our author to the Hebrews continues in verse fourteen by calling us to pursue godliness he says. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so there we find in our second point that we are faithfully running the race by pursuing godliness. We have to know the goal that's set before us in the race in order to run it with joy and with endurance even as Christ did. And that goal is godliness. That goal is Christ-likeness. Even Paul himself had to confess this in, in Philippians chapter 3. He says, it's not that I have attained, I'm not, I'm not perfect in this race, but I press on in this race that I may lay hold for that which Christ has laid hold of me. I don't count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind. I, Discard all of those obstacles, as it were, and reach forward to the things that are ahead. And I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That goal to be more like Jesus in righteousness, in holiness. It's a pursuit of godliness. We have to know the goal, we have to see the goal, we have to press toward that goal. And as we pursue that goal, godliness includes these two inseparable things in our text. First of all, peace with all people. The call to pursue peace is absolutely essential in the Christian life. But we also ought to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that we are called to achieve peace with all men and all people. No, it says we are called to pursue peace with everyone. And it is true that we may not be able to achieve peace, but Christ's people, His children, God's children, are those who strive for. it. Well, let's notice also one other thing. That we are to do so with everyone. We are not merely to seek peace with those people whom we agree with. Not at all. But with everyone with whom we engage with. And for that to happen, peace does not come at the sacrifice of truth. There are many today who say, oh, peace, peace. But the Bible says there is no peace when truth is sacrificed. You see, true lasting peace comes through truth and through reconciliation. That's how we receive peace with God. And that's how we will receive peace with one another. This is an important call to Christians. Paul emphasizes it again. Romans 12, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, seek peace with everyone. It is this pursuit of godliness that drives us to seek peace. Are there things in the path, obstacles in the path, that hinder your pursuit of peace with everyone? What, what obstacles are there? Is it, is it maybe a lack of confidence? You feel intimidated. A lack of courage maybe when you esteem the smiles and frowns of men more than you esteem the smiles and frowns of God. Or maybe it's you don't want to seek peace with others because you have Pride. Self-centeredness. Wanting your own way. Whatever obstacle there is in the path to seeking peace with all men, it needs to be removed. It needs to be dealt with. And so that's why the author also exhorts us to the second thing that's inseparable from seeking peace with all men, and that is holiness. Holiness we are called to pursue holiness and here he's describing those who are pursuing the lord in a holy pursuit after god when we think about holiness we 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 can think about first of all how holiness comes from jesus christ and it, and he makes us holy he's the one who's going to make us righteous and right and, and in the eyes of god and he's going to give us his holiness We can never be holy of our own. That is true. But He also calls us now to live and to pursue a life of holiness. To be, in other words, set apart for holy warfare. To strive to live faithfully in holiness. That's to pursue holiness. Are we those who, who are described as pursuing holiness, godlikeness, godliness? The author to Hebrews says it's so important. He says, without which no one will see the Lord. It's a requirement of every believer. Yes, indeed, every believer is given a holiness from from Christ through His work. But this holiness in life is also required as an outworking of His holiness in us. That's why we receive the Holy Spirit of God. And without which, no one will see the Lord. And so this... Command to make straight paths for our feet and to pursue godliness has eternal significance in the race that's set before us. Do we have things in our life or in our path that get in the way of our pursuit of holiness? What might they be? might be that I enjoy the things that satisfy my flesh and my earthly desires more than I desire the things of God. That's idolatry. And with such in our heart we will not see the Lord that unholy trinity of our heart. My love of myself, my love for sin, and my love for the ways of the world will not get us to the goal of being godlike, godly. We need to pursue godliness. Of course, by the grace of God. But thirdly, he also calls us to faithfully run the race by preventing falling. And now I have to be careful when I make a point of a sermon by preventing a falling that somehow we can preserve ourselves in our salvation or anything like that that's that's not what i mean god preserves us just like he gives us holiness but calls us to holiness he also preserves us but calls us to preserve ourselves and what he's saying there is god uses the means to preserve us Notice how this is so carefully set out before us in verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. What is he saying? First of all, he's saying we need to watch carefully. Looking carefully. And this isn't some kind of, I'm just watching out for my own interests. I'm just watching out for that little narrow path that's right in front of me with the end goal in mind. But that is a corporate, a corporate watching. Notice how he says that. Looking carefully, lest anyone, anyone, he doesn't say, lest you, he says, lest anyone, fall short of the grace of God. We need to be vigilant in the family of God from the weakest of brothers to the strongest of brothers or sisters or whatever it would be. That we need to be vigilant in promoting godliness, a growth in grace, and in a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be Vigilant. This is the third time the author to Hebrews brings this up in Hebrews. He does so in chapter 3, which we looked at. He does so in chapter 10, that we would gather together to exhort one another even more as the time is approaching. This is a corporate watching, drawing our attention to it here again in chapter 12, verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And we need to ask ourselves and take that seriously. Am I? Are you? Are we quick to go to a person who is struggling in the faith or with faith itself? Are we quick to give encouragement to those who are running the race with us? So that we together can grow in holiness and in the grace of God together. Are we quick to provide edification for His church in order to prevent anyone from falling short of the grace of God? Because if we don't do that, let me just say this as clear as I can from God's Word, If we don't do that, we should not be surprised if a root of bitterness arises in our hearts and spreads to our family and spreads through our congregation. Well, what is a root of bitterness? A root of bitterness is poison. It's a deadly poison. Bitterness is a deadly poison that will lead us to serious spiritual trouble and even death. This root of bitterness... it does not lead to righteousness. But it leads to a tearing apart of people. Of Christians sometimes. And that's why it needs to be rooted out. We need to get to the root of it. You know those beautiful yellow flowers that especially our churchyard back here, grows wonderfully in about May. They're called dandelions. They're a weed. And many times, I know some of you might even pay your children to go pick them out of your lawn so they're not in your lawn. And they just go out there and they pick off the stem and they may pick off a few leaves, but they don't get the roots. A week later, the dandelion's there again. Just as vibrant as it was before. Maybe even healthier. You've got to get the root. And so also, as we run the race together, in order to prevent anyone from falling, we've got to get to the root of issues. And this root that causes bitterness, it sometimes refers to, to something a person has done or an action or, or something that has caused offense or whatever it would be. And if we don't deal with the root of the issue and, and the issues of our own hearts and lives, we'll, we'll never get to the bottom of it. And it will lead to frustration, and it will lead to bitterness, and anger, and eventual death that chokes out the spiritual life that's in us. That's how important it is. Yes, we can go and mow them down, and and maybe even take all of the leaves and the flowers off the dandelions, but that root of bitterness will spring up again, and it will be there again. Got to stop bitterness at the root, lest it spread to others in Christ's body. It makes us all unclean. So we need to protect others in this race that others would not be defiled. And even worse. Verse 16, he says, remembering the examples of those who have failed, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, Esau is marked as one who was unfaithful to God. In contrast to all those who were faithful in Hebrews 11, here we have an example of, of one who was unfaithful. And he uses him as an example to spur us on to faithfulness. That we are to avoid this kind of example at all cost, And press on in faithfulness to God. And the heart of the problem was with Esau. And we know the story well, don't we? Oh, Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Esau was a few minutes older than Jacob. And he was to receive the birthright. And the promises. And the promises of God. And, and the inheritance of Isaac. And there, Esau comes in. And he's starving. Famished. So hungry. And Jacob has this porridge all ready to eat. And in his famished state, in his hungry state, he offers to sell Jacob the birthright for a bowl bowl of porridge. And the heart of the matter is this. That single meal was more important to Esau than his birthright. He didn't have a sincere interest in his birthright. And in doing so, he did not have a sincere interest in the holy things of God, the promises that were made to Abraham and to Isaac. And so he sold them by despising his birthright for a bowl of soup. Esau. Was unfaithful, and he committed this offense in knowledge. And in doing so, here the author of Hebrews is reminding us to listen to these warnings of God and that leads to a very interesting verse that follows in verse 17 for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears you see this isn't the end of Esau's story He didn't just sell his birthright and go on live a life happily ever after the rest of his life and, and yes, maybe perished forever. No. Esau sorrowed over the consequences of what he had done. He longed to receive that birthright And he was going to go about getting that blessing from his father. And he knew full well he would get that blessing from his father. And and then Jacob deceives him. And when Esau knew that the blessing was lost and it was given to Jacob, his brother, he begged his father to bless him as well. But the original blessing could not be restored. And so Esau, he stands as an example really of someone who regrets the consequences of what he has done, but he doesn't really repent from any wrongdoing. And that's a critical distinction in all of our hearts and lives that we need to make. The distinction between regret and repentance. Because God never rejects those who come to Him in true repentance. Never. But He knows the heart. And so even though Esau diligently sought for this time of repentance or or this change of heart from his father, and pled with his father Isaac, give me the blessing. There was no place for it. It's a warning to all of us. And it's a reminder that true repentance is a repentance that isn't to be repented of, says Paul. Paul but it requires a humility and a hatred from sin. Tears are not the sign of genuine repentance. There are many people who are brokenhearted over sin and yet never repent from sin. They never leave it aside. They never lay it aside and clear the path and pursue godliness. And holiness. And therefore, they will never see God. They may show true regret, even remorse, but they are unwilling to repent. And so here in the context, by drawing our attention to Esau, the writer is presenting us really with two options. He says either you can follow all of those Heroes of faith in chapter 11. From Abel to Jesus. Or you can follow the example of Esau. The question is, will you run the race faithfully? Will you run that race faithfully looking to Jesus for strength and endurance, removing the weights, removing the obstacles in order to pursue godliness as a body of Jesus Christ? Really, that's what it comes to for you and for me and for us as a congregation as we walk through this race together. Which will it be? Will we remain faithful in the race? Amen. Lord, we come to you at the end of this worship service and give you thanks for your word. And we thank you, O Lord, that the author and finisher of our faith was faithful to the end. And for that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and now is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Lord, we will never find any faithfulness in ourselves. We confess it. We acknowledge it. We will never find any godliness within ourselves. By nature, we will never pursue peace with everyone and holiness. And so left to ourself, O oh Lord, in this race, we will perish eternally. We give you thanks. That you have lifted up your Son. That in Him, we can be prepared for the race. To run it faithfully. And that we can pursue godliness. And that we can prevent one another from falling. Be pleased, O Lord, to keep us in your tender care. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.